Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. so good to see all of you here worshiping with us today, and um, this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to take your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15. And then also, you can take out your Bible study outlines. It's found right here in the center of your bulletin. You can follow along and take notes. And those of you that are worshiping over at the Creekside service, so glad that you are part of this service. It's amazing what God's doing in our church over at Creekside as well, and St. Elmo, and Saturday night, every service. We've got multiple campuses, but you know what? We are one church, and so we're so thankful for what God's doing in our body. Um, As most of you know, Easter's just a few weeks away. And in preparation for Easter, what we've been doing as a church is we've been going through a series simply entitled Crosswords, where we're looking at Jesus' final words on the cross. Now, here's the deal. This is not Jesus' last words, because Jesus rose again, said other things after the resurrection. In fact, Jesus is still speaking today to you and I, right? But these are Jesus' final words on the cross, and they're very significant. Because we actually hear and understand the heart of our Savior in the midst of his passion. And so far, what we've done is we've seen the very first week, we saw words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And then last week, we saw a word of promise. Today, to the thief and to us, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's a great word, isn't it? Well, what we're going to look at today is we're going to be looking at now Jesus' words of anguish from the cross. Jesus spoke these words of anguish, and for you and I, we begin to understand that Christ can understand what we're going through. You see, every one of us has spoken words of anguish as well. We've gone through seasons of difficulty in our life. We we all have those moments where it's the the dark shadow of our soul. In fact, statistically, they say this. They say that every one of us will typically go through some major crisis every 10 years. I, I mean, that could be that there's a death or disease, or divorce. It it could be a financial crisis. It could be a physical crisis. It could be a relationship crisis. But typically, most of us as humanity will go through a major crisis in our life every 10 years or so. That means that, you know what? A third of you are probably in the midst of a major crisis. And another third of you have probably recently gone through a major crisis. And if you're not a part of that first two group, Watch out. It's coming, right? I mean, the fact is is that all of us experience these times of difficulty, these anguish of our soul, and Christ Jesus understands it. Christ understands what it's like to go through a really difficult time. In fact, in this moment that we're going to study today, Jesus is going to ask the Father, why? Why? Right? God, why? Has there ever been these times in your life when you've been so overwhelmed with the anguish of your soul and the circumstance of your life, you ask God, why? Well, Jesus is going to be there today. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn something. Because Jesus experienced this anguish on the cross, you and I can experience hope during our times of difficulty. No matter what you're going through or ever will go through, because of what Christ experienced on the cross, you can experience God's presence and God's hope in the midst of your pain. 
And so let's look at these two phrases of anguish that Jesus spoke from the cross. The first one is found in Mark chapter 15, beginning verse 33. Notice what God's word says. It says, At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus endured these three hours on the cross where he felt forsaken by God. And then after that three hours of darkness, notice the next phrase that Jesus said from the cross. It's now found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, verse 28, look at what God's word says. It says later, knowing that all was now completed or fulfilled or accomplished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Those are Jesus' two words and phrases of anguish from the cross. And from them we can learn a great deal about what Jesus was enduring for us. And so I want you to jot down, okay, what exactly was Jesus experiencing on the cross when he spoke these two words of anguish? I want you to jot this down. First of all is this, number one is this, is the darkness of the cross. I want you to see this, the darkness of the cross. The Bible says what? The Bible says that at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, you, you may go, well, what does that mean, sixth hour, ninth hour? Well, basically, they, they calculate their hours of their day based on sunrise. And so the sun comes up six hours after sunrise is what? It's, it's noon. So it's basically at high noon all the way to the ninth hour, which would have been three o'clock. So from noon to three, darkness fell over the land. Now, many times whenever you see movies, what they'll do is Jesus is being crucified and then suddenly a thunderstorm will come in. But this darkness that came over Jesus Christ wasn't a thunderstorm. It was nothing like it that's ever seen before. That literally this darkness comes over the land, over the earth. I mean, basically it's like the sun goes out. It was eerie. It was spooky. It was supernatural. I mean, has there ever been those times where suddenly the power goes out and you're in the house and and everything's dark? Well, that's what's happening at the cross. It's high noon and then suddenly, boom, all the lights are out. The sun disappears. That's what happened. Now you think, okay, if something this dramatic happened, surely other extra biblical writers saw it and reported about it. And they did. There's a number of them that report about this darkness. One early church historian quotes Philagian, a Greek astronomer. He says, okay, it was the exact same time of Jesus' crucifixion. Look at what he says. This this, um, astronomer says this. The greatest eclipse of the sun, which is ever known for the day, was turned into night. That the stars in the heavens were seen. And yet here's the deal. We realize this could not have been a solar eclipse. Why? Because Jesus is crucified at Passover. Passover is during the full moon. An eclipse can only happen during a new moon. So so it was impossible for this to be an eclipse. And besides that, if you've ever seen an eclipse, an eclipse literally just lasts for a few moments, right? It's literally maybe three minutes. This is for three hours. This was a supernatural darkness that came over the world. Now, the religious leaders should have known what was going on because God actually predicted this darkness in the prophet Amos. Check it out. Look at what the Bible says in Amos chapter 8, verse 9. The Bible says this, And it shall come to pass that in the day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth on a clear day. Now imagine this moment. 
You have the people around the cross. They're jeering. They're mocking Jesus Christ. And suddenly this supernatural darkness comes. Lights are out. Everything's dark. Nobody's prepared for it. You think the jeering continued? No. They were scared half to death. I mean, suddenly there's silence around the cross. The only thing you can hear is the heavy breathing and moans of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, what does this darkness represent? Why darkness here? Well, throughout the scriptures, every time you see darkness, it always symbolizes one thing. What is it? It is sin and the judgment of God. Always. I mean, I've studied it this week. There's dozens of passages that teach this. Let me just give you one example of this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes this. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. See, darkness has always represented sin and evil. And so what was actually happening whenever the earth became dark for these three hours? Well, here it is. Jot this on your outline. Jesus took my sin so I could have his righteousness. During these three hours of darkness, Jesus was literally bearing all of our sin. Why? So that we could have his righteousness. Check it out. Look at how the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says this. He, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us in him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, notice what it says. It doesn't say that Jesus bore our sin or carried our sin. There's other passages that teach that. But Paul actually says that Jesus literally became sin. The sinless one became sin. The, the righteous one became unrighteous. The pure one became impure. That's what happened in that moment on the cross for those three hours. Jesus became our sin. Now, the only way that I can comprehend this is from an experience that um, happened to me growing up on the farm. As most of you know, I grew up on a farm in Florida. It was a hog farm. Now, now most people, whenever they think of a hog farm, you know, they think of a few pigs in mud. No, we had 3,000 hogs. We had the largest hog farm in all of Florida, even this very day. Our farm is the largest hog farm in all of Florida, okay? So imagine how much waste 3,000 animals can produce in a day, all right? Can you imagine that, okay? And so you have 3,000 animals and all their waste and urine, all that kind of stuff, and it basically gets washed away every day, and we had these large lagoons that it would flow into, all right? Well, my dad noticed something that, you know, the pigs did not digest all the corn the first time they ate it. And so he's like, man, we're wasting all this corn. So he comes up with this idea that he buys this huge septic tank, okay? And all the waste of all the pigs go into that septic tank. And then what we would do is we'd separate it and we'd get all the grain out and we would refeed that grain again to the pigs. And it actually worked, okay? It looks nasty, but hey, it actually worked, all right? Now here I want you to just imagine the scene. One of my jobs was separating that. Here's this huge septic tank, a day's worth of urine and disaster and nastiness, and one day I tripped and fell headlong into it. Yes, yes. Now, as nasty as the image in your mind is right now, it doesn't come close to what I actually experienced in that moment, surrounded with all that manure and nastiness and urine, okay? In that moment, I'm in counseling to this very day. (laughs) I'm not, but I ought to be, right? In fact, every time I bring this up, excuse me, I've got to clean myself here. There we go. There we go. All right. Hang on. 
Okay, I think I can go on now. Okay. Can I tell you something? That the cesspool of all of our sin of humanity flowed on to Jesus Christ. That all of our sin was emptied on Christ. All the evil of humanity. It was vile. It was toxic. It was filled with disease and pain and suffering. All of it fell on Jesus Christ. Look how the prophet Isaiah predicts this. He says this in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, you're healed, folks. But it's Jesus. Jesus took all of that punishment. He carried it all. He literally became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Christ experienced the darkness so that you and I could receive the light of God's gospel. Jesus took our sins so that I could have his righteousness. Jesus was cursed so that you could be blessed. Jesus was condemned. So that you and I could quote Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All because Jesus endured the darkness on the cross. You'll never have to experience that darkness. That's the first thing that Christ experienced on the cross. The darkness of the cross. But I want you to notice the second thing that Christ endured. Jot this down. The isolation of the cross. The isolation of the cross. You see on the cross Jesus was isolated. He was totally alone. Most of you have probably heard of um, John McCain. Before John McCain became Senator John McCain, he was a pilot. He flew in the Vietnam War. He was shot down. He was a prisoner of war for five years in a you know, prisoner of war camp there in Vietnam. Two of the five years that he was in that POW camp, he was in an isolation cell. During those five years, they did a lot of horrific things to him. They beat him regularly. They physically tortured him. He had this chronic disease and dysteria. But John McCain said the worst part of his five years was the isolation. In fact, look at what John McCain says about this. Quote, he says, isolation crushes your spirit and weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. And when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he was totally isolated there on the cross. That is why Jesus cried out in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Look at it. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which is translated, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken literally means to be abandoned. And Jesus didn't just feel abandoned, Jesus was abandoned. Now you may go, why did God the Father abandon Jesus in this most desperate hour? Why? Because Jesus was now sin. And God is too holy to even look upon sin. Look at it. Habakkuk 1.13 says, God, your eyes are too pure to even look on evil. Now think about it. From eternity past... You've had this perfect fellowship and union, co-equal, co-existent of who? The Father and the Son. They've always had this perfect fellowship. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet in this moment, the bond was broken. Somehow in that moment on the cross, the, you know, the Trinity was dismantled. Somehow in that moment, there was separation between God the Father and God the Son. Now, we can see this even in the way that Jesus addresses God in that moment. You see, every other time that Jesus always addresses the Father, it's always with that simple title, Abba, 
Father, right? Always. And yet now, on the cross, in this moment of you know, abandonment, what does he say? Eloi, God, my God. Jesus has never addressed him as my God. But now in this moment, he is. Why? Because he is sin, and he's separated from God. It'd be like this. I have four children, and all four of my children, they call me dad. But if they were like Jesus on the cross, it would be like them saying, no longer dad. They'd be saying, Mr. Wallace, sir. Now, that would be really unusual to hear my kids say that, and that's how unusual it is for Jesus Christ to say to the Father, my God, because suddenly in that moment, something's happened here. You see, Jesus understood abandonment. The whole time he was on this planet, people, somebody was abandoning him, right? I mean, basically, there was a season of time where his family abandoned him and didn't believe in him. Jesus presents himself as the Messiah to his hometown in Nazareth, and what do they want to do? They want to throw him over a cliff. The Bible says he comes to his own, and his own receive him not. He comes to the nation of Israel. They reject him. And even his closest friends and disciples, and whenever Jesus needed them the most, what did they do? They all left him and abandoned. Jesus is used to abandonment. And yet, in every one of those other moments of abandonment, the Father's been right by his side. But now in this moment, suddenly the Father's not there. Jesus is totally alone. You see, Jesus had a picture of this moment a few hours earlier. Do you remember the story in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says that Jesus comes into the Garden of Gethsemane and suddenly, that's what Matthew says, he is overwhelmed with shock and terror. That before that moment, he was at peace, but then suddenly he was overwhelmed with his shock and terror. It was so overwhelming to him, this new revelation, that it brought him on his knees and he cries out, Father, please allow this cup to pass from me. What was it that was so shocking to Jesus? It was this event right here. He, he knew and understood at this moment that when he became sin, suddenly he and the Father's relationship would be divided. And he just, he was overwhelmed. In fact, he was so overwhelmed, the Bible says, according to Luke, that Jesus began to start sweating drops of blood. Now, physicians tell us that a person will only sweat drops of blood whenever they are under such intense agony and suffering in their soul that literally their capillaries in their face burst. A couple weeks back, I heard a story of a pastor who his family had gone to the neighborhood swimming pool. And after they had swam for a while, the, the mom was, you know, putting all the kids in the van, and, and she was loading everybody up, and then she notices that um, her three-year-old son, David, was gone. And so she quickly rushes back to the pool, and to her horror, she sees her son David in the bottom of the pool, lifeless. She screams for help, and she dives in, and to make a long story short, they were able to revive him, CPR, and they quickly rushed him to the hospital. And um, by this time, he's in the hospital, and he's okay, and the dad finally comes, and he comes to the hospital room, and he sees his little son, you know, David, there asleep in the bed, and he comes over to his side, and he notices that he has all these um, purple blotches and patches spots all over his face. And so he asks the doctor, he says, Doctor, wh wh what's all these purple blotches all over my son's face? And the doctor said this, quote, he said, apparently right before your son lost consciousness, there on the bottom of the pool, 
He was yelling and crying so forcefully to be rescued by his mom and dad that all the capillaries in his face burst. That's Jesus on the cross. Jesus in this moment understands what it's like to be totally abandoned. He is in the bottom of the pool of all of our sin and God is no longer around and he's crying out in desperation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what's going on here. So what happened? What was actually taking place spiritually? Why did Jesus have to be abandoned? Well, here it is. Jot this on your outline. Jesus was forsaken so I can be accepted. That's when you should say amen, right? Jesus was uh, forsaken so that I can be accepted. Um, several years back, I was on a mission trip, and I was going to be speaking to the nationals there. And like many times, as I'm just sort of preparing my heart to speak, I was surrounded by all the nationals from that um, country, and, and they're all around me. And it just so happened that right next to me was this woman and um, apparently, and I don't mean to sound judgmental, but apparently this lady hadn't washed in probably a month. And, and, and the stink, the smell of this woman was so overwhelming. I literally, I couldn't concentrate. I mean, I, I literally, uh, it was nauseating. And I'm, I'm trying to pray and prepare my heart to share the word. And I was so distracted by her smell. And I'm like, I literally prayed. I said, God, I, I, I can't even worship because this woman stinks so bad. And it's like immediately God spoke to my heart. Tony, your sin nauseates me in exactly the same way. And yet, Tony, I accept you because I forsook my son on the cross. And Tony, I can look on you with love because I looked away from my son whenever he was being punished for your sin. Folks, you and I are accepted because Jesus was abandoned. I love the way that um, pastor and author Max Licato puts it. He says, imagine it this way. Imagine you're a parent. You have a number of children. And one of your children comes down with this rare disease. It's very contagious. And the doctor says, look, if, if you want to spare the rest of your family from getting this disease, you've got to take your diseased son and you've got to put him in isolation and you can't have any contact with him. And so it's breaking your heart, and yet what you do is you take your diseased son, and you take him to the hospital, and you leave him in an isolation room, and, and then you close the door. And, and then you can hear him. And he's saying, Mom and Dad, don't leave me here. And yet you steal yourself, and you walk down the hallway, and you can hear his faint cries, Mom and Dad, please don't leave me here. And then as you're, you're leaving the hospital because you know it's the only way to save the rest of your family, you, you can hear the banging on the window and your child there crying out, Mom and Dad, please don't leave me here. Right? That's Jesus on the cross. Jesus Christ was the diseased son. He took all of our sin. Why? So that you and I could be free from the disease of sin. Jesus was abandoned so that we could be accepted by Almighty God. Jesus Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? So you and I will never have to utter those words from our mouth. You, you'll never have to say you're abandoned. Why? Because Christ has already been abandoned. The Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you a promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter where you are, what's happened in your life, God says, I ain't leaving you. I made a promise to you, I'm never going to leave you. Why? Because I left my son and that's enough. I'm not leaving you. 
That's what the Bible says. Christ experienced that kind of isolation on the cross. And so think of it. You have the darkness of the cross. You have the isolation of the cross. But there's a third thing that we need to understand that Jesus experienced on the cross. Jot this down. The agony of the cross. The agony of the cross. For three hours, Jesus bore all of our sin. And he experienced this agony of carrying all of our sin and guilt on the cross. And then after that three hours, Jesus makes another statement. It's the one found in John chapter 19, verse 28. Look again what it says. Verse, chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus, it says, later knowing that all was now finished, it was complete, it was accomplished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, look at it, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now, why did Jesus say, I'm thirsty after these three hours? Because Jesus has endured such a horrific agony for these last three hours, he's now thirsty. You see, here's the deal. Earlier, people offered him something to drink, and he refused it. In fact, this is the only time on the cross that Jesus requests anything from anybody. He's requesting that somebody give him something to drink. Why? Because Jesus Christ has just endured so much on the cross. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the physical pain Jesus endured on the cross. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of Christ, you've got a pretty good idea of the physical sufferings Jesus went through. But I want you to understand something. That if there were spikes in your hands and your feet and crown of thorns on your head, Jesus suffered with the same intensity that you would suffer, okay? It was a horrific death. But besides the physical pain, folks, Jesus suffered more. Jesus suffered in the agony of carrying all of our sin and our sorrow. He literally was carrying the weight of the world. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and Jesus Christ took our death on the cross. In essence, every one of us deserved to die and go to hell, right? We do, we do. And Jesus took our hell for us. So what does that mean? Well, jot this on your outline. Jesus endured hell so I can enjoy heaven. Jesus endured hell so I can enjoy heaven. Now, some of you may have grown up in the Christian tradition where you recite the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. The Apostles' Creed is an early Christian um, declaration of faith. It's a great um, declaration. But part of the Apostles' Creed, it says this, that Jesus, when after he died, he descended into hell. Now, here's the deal. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus descended into hell. It doesn't. Um, Jesus Christ, in fact, we saw this last week, that Jesus said to the thief, today you'll be with me where? paradise okay so nowhere in the bible does it say that jesus descended into hell and yet i really do believe the bible teaches that jesus christ endured hell for us jesus didn't go down to hell but hell came to him on the cross in fact the very same thing that we would experience in hell jesus experienced on the cross in that microcosm of time you see hell is described in three ways on the bible I want you to see this. Jot this on your outline. First of all, hell is described as a place of darkness. Hell is described as a place of darkness. Jesus said this about the unrighteous. Matthew chapter 8 verse 12 says this, that they would be thrown into outer darkness. In a place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, see a lot of people joke and say, oh, we're going to have a party in hell. It's going to be so fun. We've got lights and sounds and music. And, ha. and you know, and you go, no, you don't understand. It's going to be darkness, outer darkness, complete darkness. 
The only sound you're going to hear is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus Christ, in that microcosm of three hours, experienced all the darkness of hell for us. Second way the Bible describes hell is this. Hell is a place of separation from God. In hell, you're separated from God. Look how Paul puts this, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's what hell is. Hell is a separation from God. And that's why Jesus Christ on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was experiencing that separation. I really honestly believe this. If there was some way that we could drop a microphone down into hell, right now, all you'd hear is weeping and gnashing and people just going, I'm alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's what hell is, a total separation from God. But there's a third description of hell in the Bible from Jesus, and it's this. Hell is a place of agony. Hell is a place of agony. Now you may go, Pastor, do you really believe that hell is a literal place of agony? Well, Jesus taught about hell just as much as he talked about heaven. And if heaven is real, so is hell. It's really painful imagery. But look at how Jesus talks about hell in one place. In Luke chapter 16, you have this rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, he cries out to Father Abraham. Look at it in Luke chapter 16, verse 24. It says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus, look at it, to dip the tip of his finger in water. And cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. In essence, what is he saying? He's saying, I thirst. That's what Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced on the cross the eternal darkness, the eternal separation, the eternal agony. Jesus on the cross in that microcosm of time literally took our hell in our place. He was the perfect substitute for us. Peter puts it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. He, Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds you've been healed. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. Folks, can I tell you something? Everything that I describe today is for one reason. So you can come to God. Like that old hymn that we would sing called At Calvary. I love the lyrics. It goes like this. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Christ has paid the way. He's made the way for you so you could come to faith, so that you could come to God. He took your hell so you could experience the joys of heaven. Let me close with this. There's a church in Worden, Germany, that has a figure of a lamb engraved on really high up on its um, bell tower. Let me explain how it all came about. You see, basically, whenever they were constructing the bell tower, they, they had all the workmen up there on scaffolding, and one of the men lost his footing and fell backwards. He screams as he falls, and, you know, there's pavement below, and all the other workers immediately believe that, you know, he's, he's been killed. But whenever they get down to the bottom, they realize, no, he's up, he's walking around, he didn't die from the fall. You see, what had happened is at the very moment that the man was falling, there was a flock of sheep that were coming by the church. And he literally fell on top of one of the lambs. The lamb was crushed, but it broke his fall and he was saved. And because of that, he took the figure of a lamb and he put it on that tower at the exact height of where he fell from as a tribute to the miracle of his salvation. 
Well, folks, that's a powerful imagery because it's the same for us. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he was crushed for your iniquities. Your iniquities fell onto Jesus Christ, but now you can stand up and walk clean and forgiven because he was crushed for you. Jesus cried out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you would never have to be forsaken by God. Jesus said, I thirst, why? So that you can respond to the very final invitation in the Bible. It's found, look at it, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. This may be speaking to some of you. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Folks, it's free to you, but it was costly. It cost Jesus his very own life. Jesus experienced darkness so that you could experience the light of the gospel. Jesus experienced isolation so that God would never forsake you. Jesus experienced hell so that you could experience paradise. But you've got to still respond. Christ has made the way, but you've got to choose to follow him. I can remember whenever I came to faith in Christ. I knew all about Jesus. I'd grown up in church, but I'd never truly been born again. And then a pastor preached on the crucifixion of Christ, much like what I preached on today. And I realized something. Nobody loves me like Jesus. Nobody has sacrificed himself like Jesus. And if Jesus Christ loves me this much, I can trust him with my life. I've spent my whole life living for the approval of others. I'm going to spend the rest of my life living for the approval of one Jesus Christ, the one with the nail-scarred hands. I'm going to live for the applause of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. And so should you. If you have not yet called on Christ as your Lord, today you can do that. Today you can be born again. Today you can take all that Jesus Christ accomplished for you, and it can be applied to you, and God can say, you're forgiven. Christ has paid the way. Why? All because of these words of agony on the cross. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.